praise you, Lynn. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for worship, for testimonies, and Lord, just begin to open our hearts to see what Ruben's laid in his heart. Father, just speak through him. Give us ears to hear. Lord, bring thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, open our eyes of our heart. Let the word go deep in Jesus' name. Just anoint him. Let him just sense your presence on him. Fill his mouth. Hide him in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everyone. I haven't done this in a while since being in the rumpus, I think. Maybe even at the beginning of uh, 2018. Um, Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Revelation. It's my absolute favorite book in the whole Bible. It just, yeah, has so many visuals in almost every chapter. You know, and every line in those chapters is like a potential epic art piece just waiting to be made. Um, And I actually fell in love with the book at like the age of eight, you know, read the whole thing during an Indonesian church service downtown when I should have probably been listening to what was being preached, but I just love this book. Now, um, the interesting thing about the book of Revelation is that it has, I'll give the chapter soon. The interesting thing about the book of Revelation is that it has 404 verses containing 800 allusions or indirect references to the Old Testament. Okay, so some are obvious, others not so much, but they're still there. And if the book of Revelation seems strange to our ears, it's because we haven't spent enough time in the Old Testament. Okay, these idioms, these issues presume the Old Testament. So it's almost as if John is assuming that you've done your homework. Okay. Um, anyway, don't know what you'll do with that piece of information, but there it is. Uh, let's read Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 to 8. Revelation 21, verses 6 to 8. If you just follow up with me. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice sorcery, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed, but from that list, 
look who's mentioned first. Okay, it's not the murderer. It's not the sexually immoral. It's not even those who practice witchcraft. It's the coward. Or as my dad would say, that's the entirety of the Western church. But, <laughs> but just look at the things that the cowardly are grouped together with. The unbeliever, the vile, the liar, the murderer, the sorcerer, just things that we would place far above cowardice. You know, and of course, we see cowardice as like really pathetic, but nowhere near as bad as the real evil things, you know, like murder and sorcery and sexual immorality. And it made me think like, you could have, generally speaking, not a hint of a lustful thought, you know, you're pretty good in your thought life or you're, generally speaking, again, you're truthful in your speech. You don't really exaggerate things or tell a white lie. But you can still be a complete coward. Like, it's amazing. Why is this a serious issue? Why does it say that cowards will literally go to hell? Now, let's start by looking at this word, cowardly, that's specifically used here. See what it's referring to. And, of course, to do that, Let's look at the original language used, the Greek word for cowardly. Okay, now I know for a fact that if you're like scared to go skydiving or bungee jumping or something like that, you're automatically going to hell. Okay, that's not what that's saying. Um, there's a French scholar who was one of the great Greek New Testament scholars of our time, apparently, and I'm not even going to try to. <laughs> attempt to pronounce his name, but in his theological study, in the lexicon, he actually explains the word cowardly that's used in Revelation 21, and there are, in fact, only two other times in the New Testament that that Greek word is used, okay, dilos is the word, D-E-I-L-O-S, and one of the places it's used in is when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, remember, and there's a storm, and they're afraid they're going to die, okay, and Jesus rebukes them, you know, for being fearful, so what they did wrong, basically, is they were afraid, even in the presence of their Savior, you know, who's literally right there in the boat with them, and they know who he is, okay, they've seen him do the miracles, but that is not something that is going to send you to hell, okay? Even though this is an obvious lack of trust in God, even so, it won't send you to hell, okay? So, why does it say in Revelation 21 that the cowardly will find themselves in the lake of fire? Everyone has dealt with and is still dealing with some sort of fear, right? Now, we've been in intimidating situations and weren't exactly uh, fearless and strong. In the New Testament lexicon, on this specific word, in that verse in Revelation, the cowardly, it's actually within the context of believers during times of persecution, okay, who out of fear of suffering 
renounce their faith. And of course, it is commonplace that human courage and cowardice are revealed in the face of death. The latter is expressed in flight because it's the human heart that weakens. Cowardice or cowardly in Revelation 21 can then be defined as, and I quote, a more serious disease than those which afflict the body because it destroys the faculties of the soul. I'll read it again. Cowardice or cowardly in Revelation 21 can then be defined as a more serious disease than those which afflict the body because it destroys the faculties of the soul. Yeah, that's what the ancient Jewish philosopher Philo said. And this is applying to believers, remember, during times of pers- persecution, okay, who out of fear of suffering renounce their faith or just warp the truth. And that's, that's what it comes down to, you know? <laughs> when believers were told to basically worship Caesar or die, you know, worship Caesar or be tortured, no, kneel or lose your family. I mean, when you're facing that sort of thing, I think it's easy to cave in, you know? It's easy to think, I'll just fight another day, so I'll just bow down for now and go along with the system until next time. But to do what next time? You know, compromise again? Cave in again? It's one thing to do what Peter did, denying Jesus three times, but then he repented okay, and wept. You know, then Jesus personally restored him, and he was used powerfully, and then he died a martyr's death, crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die in the same way his Lord had died. So he was forgiven, okay, restored, because yes, God is merciful. But don't have the thinking of, I'll just compromise today. You know, that's what the Western world does. And I'm not so sure that works, because, like, if we compromise when it's easy, out of fear of losing friends, followers on social media, losing popularity, looking like a complete idiot, then what's to say you stand strong when a gun's pointed at your head? You know, or your child's head. There's been an image floating around, around the internet. You might have seen it, sometimes on social media, probably more on Facebook. And it shows the exact opposite of cowardice. It shows courage. And if courage could be seen in one image... I mean, it would would look like this. Um, It's a Nazi Germany of a man named August Landmasser. He's standing at a shipyard, his workplace, and Adolf Hitler was there speaking. Literally everyone in this picture is doing the salute. And there he is with his arms folded and with a look of, you know, how no am I doing this? Just defiance, 
That was in 1936. If you want to know what courage looks like, there it is. He got married to a Jew, had two children who were not recognized as legitimate because the state refused to recognize their marriage. Eventually, his wife dies in a concentration camp. He survives three years at one of those camps and then was sent off to die on a, some suicide mission. And then the kids get through. Okay, They survive it all, but just heavy stuff. You know, him doing that, displaying courage, refusing to do the salute, ultimately cost him his life. But history, okay, eternity even, remembers him as bold and courageous and not a coward. And I was just thinking, like, imagine being remembered as a coward. How awful would that be? Like your great-great-grandkids look back on you or something, you know? Like, oh, that's just my great-great-grandpa, Reuben the Coward. <laughs> like, what a legacy to leave behind. But on the individual level, oh, you can keep it up there. On the individual level, are we bold and courageous? I saw a verse that said, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. And that's Proverbs 28 verse 1. And I was like, is that us? <laughs> you know, are we as bold as lions? You know, there are, um, I hate to go into this, but uh, <laughs> there are some believers who avoid political issues like the plague, <laughs> okay? And that's fine. You don't want to bring divisions. But I feel like just believing in Jesus and what he teaches is pretty divisive. Last time I checked, the things Jesus said are really, really divisive. Okay, so with some of these political issues, like abortion, that cannot be avoided. No, or gay activism, that definitely cannot be avoided in this day and age. You know, we, we can't just try and get people to love us using our own version of the love of God. Okay, the way I see it, if the world hated the one we follow and serve, if they hated him so much that they like beat him to an inch of his life and then crucified him on the cross, like don't expect anything different to eventually come our way. Um, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 10, if you could turn there, Matthew 10 verse 39. I like this verse. Matthew chapter 10, verses 39. It says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Okay, in other words, you are more concerned with your reputation with your life than with the truth. Okay, for example, I'll just lay low to save my job or my career. You know, no controversy from me. You just lost your life right there. 
you know? Like, why would you do that? To be accepted by people? To be seen as a good and loving person? An upstanding guy? You know, because it's not nice being labeled as a narrow-minded bigot. But I tell you what, better that than a coward. You know, we should have the attitude of like, go ahead and fire me. (laughs) I died to my ambitions. As far as the Western church goes, yeah, yeah, we tend to lean a bit into cowardice, I would say. We can be soft when there's times of testing. And I'm just comparing it to third world churches. Okay, maybe it's because we have so much to lose in the West. Like, our careers seem to be the thing we protect the most. Like, that's the pattern I see. As soon as that's under threat, mate, we just fold. Compromise, get wishy-washy on our stance on certain issues. Just be courageous. Like, don't be rude, okay, or mocking, like I sometimes am, but just stand. You know, don't even worry about political issues for now. Just apply the principles of Jesus' word to your life and stand. Okay, but don't go looking for trouble. Okay, we're called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, right? (laughs) But... See, there's the balance, not to the point where we bend the knee. Okay, so don't use the peacemaker scriptures as an excuse not to stand up and say something when challenged or to compromise. Okay, and be all like, I'm just going to be quiet and lay low because I'm a peacemaker and a good person. You know when people say that? You know what that really is? It's cowardice disguised as morality. Okay, it's just trying to rationalize. And I find this is the case with people who like, don't like any form of aggression whatsoever. Like any form of aggression is bad and really sinful. You know, and just frowned upon. And so, stay with me. And so because of that, They've built this moral structure that's now a part of their personality. Okay, so it's not that I'm a good person, therefore I don't offend or hurt you in some way. Rather, it's I'm afraid to hurt and offend you, and because I don't want to admit that I'm afraid to hurt you, then I say I'm a moral person. See, I can hide my cowardice behind a false mask of morality. Okay, and pull out verses like, the meek shall inherit the earth, something like that, you know, which is not what you think it means if you study the text, okay? If you look at multiple commentaries and translations, the word meek does not mean now what it meant when people first translated it. Okay, so meek sounds like harmless or powerlessness or something like that. But what it actually means, it comes from a word that means something more like those who have swords and know how to use them, but keep them sheathed. 
Okay, so those who have swords and know how to use them, but keep them sheathed, will inherit the earth. Way different from what most people think that means. So it's, it's almost like a controlled aggression. Power under control. It just changes the image of what a meek person is. So a meek person is not a seemingly harmless person with zero aggression that avoids conflict and is compliant. That is not what a meek person is. Okay, it's more like, as a really, really, really extreme example, someone who's been trained in the special forces or the IDF, you know, a person with a dangerous particular set of skills who could, if he wanted, kill you but chooses not to. Hey, they could do it, but they don't. And of course, there is a time to bring out that aggression, okay? Nazi Germany would have been one of those times. Just without any capacity for aggression, you cannot say no. Like, or at least you find it really hard to say no. Okay. Many people in that era just held that part of themselves that's aggressive and put it behind them. Now, instead, many of them just remained obedient. You know, and if all you know is how to behave, then really, you're just a domesticated house cat. And sorry to say, but like, I've met so many believers who are like that, just like an obedient citizen, goody-two-shoes Christian. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface for now, but the problem with being an obedient citizen is if society tells you to march the Jews off to the death camps, for example, and you're obedient, then that's exactly what you'll do. Okay, and, and it's never like society is civilized one moment and then the next to doing things that are evil. That's not how that works. Okay, it's more like you're an obedient citizen and then asked to violate your conscience, but only a tiny bit. Okay, and being an obedient citizen, you will say, okay. And then as society slowly begins to change a bit more, you're asked to violate your conscience a little bit more. Okay, and then the pressure comes on. You could have said no a while back, but you didn't. So you say yes again, and then it just keeps going. You know, to say no takes aggression. Like, no, I don't believe that's right. I'm not going to do that. So don't be afraid. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, if you could quickly turn there. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28. There's actually a command given. Chapter 10, verse 28 of Matthew. It says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Instead, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, it's a command. Do not be afraid. The worst thing that could happen to you is die. Okay. After you're dead, that's it. There's nothing more they can do to you. I guess for us in New Zealand, you know, it's not even at that stage yet. It's just ridicule, you know, public humiliation, maybe being fired from our jobs. You'll still come out alive for now. But put biblical principles first, okay? And I don't mean, when I say that, I don't mean you have to be stubborn and self-righteous, hypocritical, you know, just rudely dogmatic. You don't have to be any of those things. Like, just apply biblical principles and be known as a follower of Jesus in a world of ideological conflict. You know? But even in a world like that, it's very easy to go out and compromise and be like, yeah, we're believers and we go to church and we wear our crosses, but, uh, you know... We also want to fit in, so we kind of just blend a little. It's only a little bit. If, if you compromise just a little, you could get that promotion at work because you know that you need more money. And you already know that if you don't compromise and stand your ground, then you're not going to get promoted. I just think it's an important time in our history. You know, it's vital that we take a stand and act like we believe what we say we believe. You know, now I'm not going to tell you, you know, if you really decide to live that way, to live, you know, what you say you believe, that you're not going to experience, like, any persecution. Matter of fact, the Word actually promises that you will. (laughs) Maybe not right now, but you will. Being made fun of, talked about, losing a few friends, getting passed over at work for promotion is not persecution. Okay, being fired from your job is probably the tip of the iceberg, and it will come. Look at Second Tim- Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verses twelve to fifteen. Second Timothy chapter three, verses twelve to fifteen. It says, "In fact, okay, so it's a fact." Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so for what I get in that, our job, no matter what, like no matter what anyone else does, we're just supposed to hold fast. 
Like, that's it, really. Another scripture that might um, realign our perspectives. While we wait, go to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 10 to 11. Second Peter chapter three verses ten to eleven. Did everyone get that verse? (laughs) Second Peter chapter three verses ten to eleven. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will vanish or pass away with a roar and thunderous crash. And the material elements of the universe will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, some translations say will be burnt up. Okay, so someday the trumpet's going to sound. The heavens will be rolled back. And everything that we have invested so much into, or maybe compromised to get, it's going to disappear. It'll burn up. You know, and you've heard the saying, you know, no one knows what the future holds, or no one's sure of what the future holds. Well, you can be sure that this is going to happen. In fact, this is like the surest, most definite thing that's going to happen compromising to get something or to fit in now may seem worth it for now, but not in the long run. Okay, so just ask God for courage and boldness and kindness, okay? I can't stress that enough. Courage and boldness doesn't mean being nasty. Just stand when it comes your way and don't cower back. When I think of courageous believers, I often think of, probably like many of you, Christians who endured imprisonment, torture, you know, death because of what they believe. But that's not the context in which most of us live and work, right? Not yet, anyway. And it just, it made me think, like, what does a brave believer look like in our day-to-day living. I remember some sort of um, controversy going around about a statement a certain contemporary Christian recording artist made during an interview. And they asked her, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? And then she replied, you know what? I can't honestly answer on that in the sense of I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last last night about it, and I was like, I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. So when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to was. 
Like, I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know, because I'm learning too. That was her answer. Now, first of all, okay, I'm not going to condemn her <laughs> and talk trash about that response. I don't know her heart, okay? I don't know her motive in saying that. I'm just going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she's still learning, like all of us. But it sounded to me that she may be folded a bit under the pressure. Okay, and again, we must not make the mistake of thinking like we are incapable of caving into similar pressure. You know, none of us are immune to momentary compromise. Um, and so I really try not to quickly judge someone who stumbles and falls. Okay, Charles Spurgeon, you guys know him, eh? Charles Spurgeon, he once said, Do not judge a man by any solitary word or act, for if you do, you will surely mistake him. Cowards are occasionally brave, and the bravest men are sometimes cowards. Okay, or snowflakes are occasionally brave, and the tough guys are sometimes cowards. Okay, so all the more reason to ask God to give us courage, right, and the pressure of an unbelieving culture. So in saying that, I can't judge, but it still concerns me that professing Christians can be so wishy-washy on an issue that the word addresses so clearly. You know, I, I, I don't want to be that believer that just falls away when their faith is challenged, you know. I think actually Jesus described this kind of person in Matthew 13 somewhere, parable of the soils. And he says, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It's all like, amen and hallelujah and enthusiastic. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. Okay, so on fire one minute, gone the next. And I've seen plenty of those come through here over the decades. Okay, and when affliction or persecution, or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Just nowhere to be, nowhere to be seen. Like, and I don't want that to be me, you know? And I hope that's not any of us. I don't think so. Referring back to uh, Revelation 21, verse 6 to 8, biblically speaking, the cowardly are professing believers who are just so overcome with fear in a given situation that they warp the truth or they just deny it altogether. Yielding to the world's pressure you know, just afraid of what an uncompromising life of standing with Jesus and his word might cost them. Now, and all those pressures, I mean, they should be familiar to most of us by now, right? 
you know, our friendships, our family gatherings, our workplace conversations, our school or uni conversations, especially those universities, man. Um, it's just in a society that is driven by the constant shifting sands of political correctness, we all understand the price of nonconformity. Hey, like even some of you, like young people who are maybe at uni or school, who maybe have already conformed and compromised, you know what would happen if you just stood up one day and you're like, no, abortion's wrong, I'm pro-life. Mate, you know the price. The cowardly in Revelation 21 can also mean, and this is according to Dr. Chuck Misler, some of you know him, it can also mean someone who lacks or is lacking the awe of God. Okay, so the cowardly can also mean someone who lacks or is lacking the awe of God. And because that's lacking, I mean, of course you're going to fear man. You know, I like what, um, I have so many quotes, the Puritan William Garnell said, he said, we fear man so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. When man's terror scares you, turn your thoughts to meditate on the wrath of God. Okay, and for followers of Jesus, the question is not if, but when we will be rejected for the truth. Okay, I mean, it's a response that is like to be expected to come our way. No, but we can't lose heart. You know, we can't be afraid of offending the world with truth. No, but again, please, can't stress this enough. Don't mistake that for like going out to look for trouble. <laughs> you just... I don't think it's the work of the gospel if you're like actively looking to pick a fight, like I sometimes do. But um, just stand in the principles of Jesus and His Word. Like that's it, you know. And when challenges come, don't be silent. Just speak up. Amen. Amen. Let's move into prayer. And then we shall finish. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us all courage and boldness to stand strong when it is called for, especially in times where culture just seems to be changing every single week that we will not compromise or warp the truth, but stand strong when those challenges come, that we would do it out of love and not anger, know that you would be with us in those moments with your wisdom. And I know for some, maybe cowardice is not a problem because our fear, you know, quickly turns to rage and we can 
maybe lash out from emotion. Just help those of us who maybe do that. You know, help us to do it in love. That we stand not because we want to, like, destroy the other person, but because we genuinely care for their souls. You know, to see them as made in the image of God and that they have their own hurts and baggages and, uh, you know, who probably can be used by the enemy. Just make us bold, but loving. Loving, but uncompromising. That we would, we would be as solid as a rock. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'll just hand it over. Challenging word, eh? Um, is anyone going to get words of knowledge? We're just going to do a bit of ministry time, so yeah. Anyone else? Okay, so that's you. Just please get pre. Any other words of knowledge? Anything else? Yeah, okay. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Um, maybe really spoke to you. Maybe some of you really struggling with fear of man. Remember, we talked about last week. We talked about the spirit of fear. Fear is actually like a spirit. We don't realize it. it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and a sound mind. And actually, behind fears, often it's a spirit. It's like it is a demonic spirit. And sometimes we have a fear of man. And so if what Reuben shared this morning, it's that's you. Maybe you've got a real fear of even speaking up. You've been in a situation where you've just, it's like you want to speak up, but like you've just like, your fear of man's overtaking. You just, you've shut down. You say, oh, I'm not going to make a, a thing. So if that's you, we'd love to pray for you as well. So let's just stand, shall we? And then we'll. And so if you want prayer, just come. If anyone's sick, anyone can pray for, because we always want to anoint people with oil and pray for the sick. We believe in that. So, Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the challenging word. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be people of courage. Father, you would fill us with boldness and courage in these days. Lord, that we would walk in love. Lord, that's often the biggest battle, Lord, that we'd walk in love. We don't get angry, but we'd walk in love and we would stand in love and we'd say, this is what I believe. Lord, we do, it's all we have to do at times is just say, I'm sorry, I don't believe that, I just believe this. Father, we thank you for your word as absolute truth. Lord, you have absolute moral standards. And Lord, we help us not to compromise. Lord, even... Lord, we talked about the church and revelations, Lord, that would not compromise, Lord, the spirit of the Nicolaitans, which was the spirit of compromise, that we would not be a people of compromise, even though it might cost us. So, Father, I pray you'd challenge us this morning, Lord, that we would, you'd fill us with boldness, Lord, that we would be bold as lions, but gentle as doves. That's a good combination, Lord, that, Father, we would be wise and gentle as does, but we'll be full of boldness. 
So, Father, thank you for your word. I know you're challenging our hearts, Lord, because, Lord, it's almost like there's a season coming in this nation, Lord God, where it's really going to begin to cost us to stand. And, Lord, if we have compromised in the past, I thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, all we have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. And you forgive us. And, Lord, you give us boldness to stand. So thank you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you want prayer, please come, okay? Anyone want prayer? Especially if you're sick. And if you've got what, what Reuben shared really spoke to your heart, maybe you've got a fear of men. And maybe there's even some here you've never really given your life to Jesus. Okay, we'd love to pray for you as well. Maybe you've come and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. We want to give you the opportunity. Just come and see one of us at the front and we will pray with you, okay? But please say hi to f- visitors and also tea and coffee. And we're just going to be praying for those up front, okay? But please, if you're sick, don't go away without being prayed for. Bless you.